Welcome back to our podcast on the book of Galatians. This week we are jumping into our fourth week and looking at Galatians chapter 2 verses 11 to 24. Um, And this week I have a special treat. Miss Fabian Anderson is on the podcast with me today and we're going to be having a conversation around this passage. Um, Fabian taught co-taught with me last spring um, when we were working through Psalms and um, we started pretty early on mm-hmm. like on Monday nights we we you taught on Tuesdays and I taught on Wednesdays on Monday nights we had like a standing phone date <laughs> where we just processed the passage together and I think I said about midway through I was like I feel like we should have a podcast <laughs> <laughs> because our conversations were so rich and mm. Um, sharpening for me and edifying for me, and they and they so helped me in my teaching too, just to process the passage with you. And so, um, I'm really excited that you. Hello, I'm glad to be here on the podcast. Join you on the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, Fabian is a mom of four and is currently trying to homeschool while trying also, to school at home. Uh huh. School at uh-huh. home. Mm. Um, working at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So it's even more special that she took the time to be with us tonight. Um, because life is very full. It is. It is. But this is something that we both get excited about, so mm-hmm. it's good to be together. Um, I'm really excited to unpack this particular passage with you this week. Uh, when I was writing the curriculum for this passage specifically, I reached out to you because I, um, as I've been doing my anti-racism work, the Lord is graciously giving me eyes to see the word through um, a different, sharper lens, and it was really the first time that the racial nature, the ethnocentricity that we see yeah. in Peter, really landed on me in such a powerful way. And I immediately called you, <laughs> maybe, and I, I really need help because I want to <laughs> get this right, and I need help to make sure it's important that we get this right, and I want to do it effectively and accurately without overreaching. Um, and so as always, I sat at your feet Mm. and learned and listened from you and, um, actually we're on the phone, but in my mind, I was sitting at your feet. Um, and so tonight we get to dig in even deeper, which is really exciting. So I'm going to pray really fast and then we're going to jump right into the passage. Father, the doctrine of justification is the fullness of the gospel and it is something that we never want to move away from and we want to learn more and more of it if if Peter the pillar of the church struggled to live out the doctrine of justification in his life surely we also need to hear from you and learn from you in aligning our life with the truth of the gospel so I pray that as we teach that your Holy Spirit would counsel and and teach the minds and the hearts of your people um, that we would the words we speak would be honoring to your truth and that you would do a beautiful gospel work in your church. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to jump right in to verse 11. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came back, when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with them, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, or Paul, before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? 
we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So last week, we looked at Paul's first encounter with Peter and James and John and uh, when he brought Titus, who was an uncircumcised Greek, and Barnabas with him to Jerusalem with the intention to set the record straight once and for all on the issue of circumcision to the Gentiles. We talked about what a monumental moment this was in church history, that the apostles perceived the grace given to Paul and offered them the right hand of fellowship in their mission to the Gentiles and didn't require that Titus be circumcised. It was a big moment in church history. Mm-hmm. And this week, we see a very different encounter between Paul and Peter and one that we have much to learn from. We see a shift from Paul standing alongside Peter in Jerusalem to standing against him in Antioch. And the issue at hand we see stated in verse 12. For before the circumcision party came to Antioch, Peter was eating with the Gentiles at the table. But when the Judaizers came, he pulled back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Um, So keeping the Old Testament food laws, or what they call the clean laws, was a way for the Jews to show that they belonged to God. These Mm mealtimes were sacred to the Jews. Um, This is why we see such an uproar when Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors. Mm -hmm. Um, But keeping those dining habits became really tricky in the city of Antioch um, because Jews made up about 10% of the population, really. Um, And it was a very cosmopolitan and multi-ethnic city. In Jerusalem, they established that Gentiles need not be circumcised in order to belong to the church, but it was still a common practice for Jews to honor their heritage and their kosher habits through adhering to the ceremonial laws. So then the question is, how do they relate to one another when they worship at the same church? I mean, I think that's even just fascinating to think about how that church in Antioch, where the Jews are the minority in that sense, but are definitely bringing their their culture to bear Mm -hmm. on how they do their their gatherings. Mm -hmm. Um, It's in a church that has diverse um, peoples, Mm -hmm. people from different backgrounds, pagans mm-hmm. who become who come into Christ so, so these gentile Jews or gentile Christians and they're bringing their culture to bear as well mm-hmm. and they've got to figure out how to do all this together yeah that's it's quite a melting pot it is sounds kind of familiar doesn't it it does sound familiar <laughs> joy it does <laughs> so historically it had been forbidden to share the table with an I'm doing quotation marks with my hands for those who can't see me. Unclean Gentiles. Yes. Um, And then you mentioned even what church looked like. Right. So even in the early church, their worship service was done in a home. Mm -hmm. So it was very communal. They would sing a hymn, open the text, read it, and then um, do the Lord's Supper, and then actually share a meal, like sit at a table together. Um, as part of the service. This is not, like, this meal was not like a potluck, as you said when we were talking earlier. It's not like a, oh, bring your meal and just, you know, gather around where you may. Yeah, where all the cool kids sit all, together. Yeah, and, yeah. This this moment of sitting at the table is central to mm-hmm. how they worship um, and demonstrate the sibling faith, if you will, to mm-hmm. one another and how they demonstrate what it means to be a family mm-hmm. to the watching world, too. Because, again, think about it. A multi-ethnic city mm-hmm. with diverse backgrounds, you're going to have a church moment like this where the table is populated by people of different ethnicities, 
in different uh, points of origin, uh, maybe different even languages. There's mm-hmm. there's just going to be a, a, a great multicultural mix. Mm-hmm. And people are going to look and say, oh, look, how are they all unified? Especially when I know that some of them don't eat those certain things. By what I so there's just a lot that's going to be brought in this moment. It's going to represent mm-hmm. that they're unified something else other than their habits or culture. Right. And so what Peter was doing was not a subtle thing. No. This it, is not like, oh, I'm going to sit at the end at the mm-hmm. table, and people are going to look up and be like, oh, yeah, where's Peter? Oh, he's over there. No, no, no. This is very conspicuous. Mm-hmm. When Peter breaks, he's breaking from the table. He's moving himself, and it's like a break in fellowship. This is yeah. no small mon- This no small moment, right. no small gesture. Um, he's making a statement. And his statement, because of his position as a pillar of the church, mm. Then has the domino effect and sure. took with him yeah. Barnabas among many others. Yeah, but there's some background on Peter too. Mm-hmm. On you want to go into that a little bit about sure. what was Peter's background and why was this? Why was he uh, inclined to make this statement, mm-hmm. if you will? Yeah. So the vision that God gave to Peter in Acts 10, you looked up Acts 10 in your homework this week. Um, it clears a lot of this up um, for for Peter. Peter now saw that anything God deems as clean is clean and then made a regular habit of sharing meals with the Gentiles in Antioch until the men from James came along. Peter's belief in the same gospel to the Jews as to the Gentiles had not changed. His convictions hadn't changed, but his behavior changed. And the question we have to ask there is why. Mm -hmm. The text tells us it was out of fear, fear of man's approval, specifically the circumcision party. And then we saw the domino effect. Um, the rest fell into the same hypocrisy. They stopped acting in accord with their convictions. Was there something else you were going to say about yeah, well, the, the Peter's fact, background? Yeah, so at this table that Peter steps away from, they are serving food that typically Jews wouldn't have eaten. Like they're eating, they're sharing a meal that has um, things that, according to you know, Peter's encounter with God in Acts 10, they've mm. been unclean. Right. But prior to these people coming down, Peter was enjoying it with mm-hmm. them. But now when um, when men from James came along, Peter's deciding to go ahead and outwardly demonstrate that his rightness, if mm-hmm. you will, is marked by external measures. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the external measures would be not eating certain food. So it's something right. he's seen from the outside. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the public nature of Peter's sin required the public nature of Paul's rebuke. Right. And this is another, you said it before, but it's another massive moment in church history. I mean, can you imagine? They're about to have a discussion or figure out a sharp disagreement. And not even like, raised voices. I, when I was like researching this and writing this earlier, Paul was livid mm-hmm. that Peter mm-hmm. would do something that would contradict his beliefs so egregiously. Mm-hmm. This is, I guess, no small matter. Paul was irate. Yeah. And this is the sh- a sharp disagreement. He, he's calling him out over the hypocrisy because, like you said, it's public. He's doing this, again, in front of the church body. Mm-hmm. So Paul corrects him in front of the church body. Right. Um, so his confrontation 
says that in verse 14, their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Mm. Some translations uh, say they were not walking in line with the truth of the gospel, or the NIV says they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Um, And so we're going to look at what that means. The Greek word for not walking in step with is orthopedeo. That word pedeo is most easily translated as walk, to walk. Um, And in ancient times, the idea of walking was a reference to the whole course of your life. It wasn't, don't think walk like one foot in front of the other or taking the dog for a walk. This This was like, it includes your thoughts, feelings, motivations, actions. Your walk was the whole direction of your life. That um, prefix ortho, as you found in your homework, it means straight, which is where we get the term orthodontist who gives us straight teeth. Mm -hmm. So what Paul is saying is that the gospel has a trajectory or a line, and it has implications for all of your life. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we unpacked in early on in chapter one, Paul unpacks what the truth of the gospel is. It is the good news that we are sinners in need of a Savior. We do not possess the power to save ourselves by any amount of goodness or merit of our own. And Jesus came as our great rescuer, died on the cross, taking with him the punishment for our sins and giving us in exchange his perfect record, which gave to us absolute favor and acceptance by God. Um, So to walk in line with this truth is to bring everything in our life, every part in line with the direction of this truth. We seek to bring our thinking, feelings, behaviors, and motivations in line with the gospel. And so even Paul's challenge to Peter is that you need to keep, you need to walk in line with the gospel, your your actions here, how you're living, and even in terms of how you're eating and how you're fellowshipping with the believers needs to be in line with the gospel yep. because we know the truth of the gospel is that we are justified by faith through Jesus Christ, not by, not works. by works. Right. So Paul gives us a case study of what it looks like to live out of alignment with sure. the gospel sure. with Peter. Um, and so the word that we use there for Peter's sin is ethnocentrism. Yeah. And you're the one who gave this word to me mm-hmm. and uh, we kind of unpacked it a little bit on our own, but I'd love to hear you kind yeah. of unpack. We, we've, we've, continue to say it during this um, Mm -hmm. podcast ethnocentrism means to put one's culture or ethnic identity as a center point of your of your belief system of your Mm -hmm. of your practice Um, Peter's ethnocentrism was that of his Jewish heritage Mm -hmm. Um, it's not difficult to understand how Peter got there Mm -hmm. again being a Jew God gave the Jew, the the Hebrew people uh, laws to demonstrate God's holiness, mm-hmm. right? The laws are to demonstrate God's holiness, and as they kept them, they were disposed to demonstrate to a watching world um, what God's kingdom was supposed to look like, what holy living and communal right living with another with one another was supposed to look like. However, through um, it's misguided attempts to do that. We've gotten this ethnocentrism as a result where they've used these laws as walls mm. instead of bridges, instead mm. of megaphones. Instead of inviting people and showing them how to live, they use them as walls to exclude others mm. out and, and kind of insulate themselves as God's chosen people. Mm. Um, and out of that 
uh, exclusion, there's this identity of culture, uh, this ethnocentrism that says, uh, I am special because I am Jewish. Mm. Um, And Peter wrestles with God in Acts 10 in trying to remove that ethnocentrism as his primary identification. Uh, when even if you read, re- again, if re- you read the account, God calls to him three times and says, take eat. And Peter's response is, no, I, mm. I would never. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I'm Jewish, God. <laughs> I would never eat any of those hooved animals over there. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's thinking in terms of who he is and what is cultural identity, his, mm-hmm. his ethnic identity is, is primary. Um, instead of his identification as a believer, based on God's work hmm. um, yeah. through justification. Yeah. So ethnocentrism, in this context, in this passage, it refers to Peter's supremacy of his own ethnic identity, but the term is can, can be t- contextualized to our present moment mm-hmm. and is not uh, beholden to one ethnic group either. Right. Uh, a current practical uh, understanding of ethnocentrism in America today would be that of white supremacy, where you take the culture of of being a white American and make that a primary identifier in your life. It can also be a black person taking the uh, identifier of their blackness and making that identi- uh, primary identifier in their mm-hmm. in their life. Um, our history and our culture, though, shows that ethnocentrism has really destructive ends in terms of white supremacy because mm-hmm. it is uh, seen in racism. Right. Racism mm-hmm. is just the outflow mm-hmm. is what comes out of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Um, I have more on ethnocentrism if we, we can we can get into that a little bit later as we go on through this passage. Yeah, because I think it will probably apply as yeah. we dig into the specifics here. Yeah. So Paul is essentially saying to Peter, God did not have fellowship with you based off of your culture or race. So why would you then let another's culture or race determine your fellowship with them? He was saying to Peter, you forgot the gospel. Yeah. yeah. So what, what I think is essential here is that Paul's correction to Peter was not, his call out was not about breaking a rule mm-hmm. or breaking a law. Although ethnocentrism is a sin under sure. God's law, sure. Paul didn't call Peter to account on the basis of a broken rule. His point to Peter is that ethnocentrism or the racism that flows out of that is not in line with the gospel. Mm. You are forgetting that you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Ethnocentrism is always a form of works righteousness. That's really good, Joy, because ethnocentrism, as for a believer, essentially says it is Jesus plus. Mm -hmm. It's Jesus and my culture that makes you righteous. It's Jesus and my culture that you must follow in order to do this Christian life right. Um, And that's a lie. Um, Paul is very clear when he says, your conduct is not in step with the truth of the gospel. So then we can say that anything that is led out of ethnocentrism is an affront to the gospel. Mm. It's the antithesis. It's a lie. Mm. Um, And even when he corrects Paul, or when he corrects Peter, you're right. He does not correct him for breaking a rule. He corrects him at the root of the issue. And the root, what, the root here is that um, he says, how do you live like a Gentile, even though you're a Jew? He's like, 
you know the freedom that's in Christ. Mm-hmm. You know the freedom that we have. You're living in this freedom as a Gentile. You're living it by eating this stuff because you're free in Christ. But yet, you're forcing the Gentiles to live like Jews. Mm-hmm. Ethnocentrism can only do one thing, can only enslave. Mm-hmm. It can only demand obedience to a standard and not provide a savior. Whereas in Christ, we have a standard of holiness. We have a savior who offers that way unto holiness. Mm. Ethnocentrism fails miserably at that. That's why mm-hmm. it's a it's a really bad excuse for <laughs> a savior. It's a really bad excuse for a religion. And to bootstrap ethnocentrism to the gospel is heresy. And it's why it leads us back into slavery. Yes. yes. Time and time again, as Paul mm-hmm. mentions. When we... When we make it about a violation of a rule, we are making it an external issue and it never gets to the heart, which is what you were saying, or yeah. the root of the sin, which makes us powerless to do anything about it. Right. It just cycles. Yeah, it's not. As long as it's external, it just cycles. We can get better at it for a while, right. but eventually we slip back into the same behavior. Ethnocentrism, ethnocentrism is a sin because it is not in line with the truth of the gospel. I think it's even really important to point out that Paul didn't call out Peter for being mean to the Gentiles. Right. It's not or like, rude. Or rude. Right. <laughs> Ethnocentrism is not just having bad interpersonal skills. Mm-hmm. Just like white supremacy is not about having bad interpersonal skills with people of color and black people and, and Latinos and immigrants. It's, it's literally thinking that your ethnicity is primary and then also the standard mm-hmm. for what it means to be enter the blank American Mm -hmm. Christian you know Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. it it's not about interpersonal relationships it's Mm -hmm. deeper than that it's the gospel yeah Mm -hmm. it's sin of the heart it's a sin Mm -hmm. of the heart yeah yeah so when we use ethnocentrism or any sin pattern pattern Mm -hmm. for that matter we are saying that Christ and his work on the cross are not enough to make me righteous it's Christ plus we take hold of our race and our culture and feel superior to others who don't have the same race or culture. And this was rampant in the history of the evangelical church. If you read on the history of the evangelical church. Mm-hmm. Um, so the reason you are racist is that you're trying to find something outside of Jesus to fill you up and make you righteous or worthy. You're out of line with the truth of the gospel. And in, and it's you said earlier as we were talking about this, it's a uh, sin of ethnocentrism, or even what we're missing in our context is like this idea of wanting to belong, mm-hmm. and 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 that's what culture does, right? Mm-hmm. We're not saying culture is bad, right? Everyone comes from a cultural perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, God created created us as such to be a diverse groups of nations of mm-hmm. peoples of culture, but our culture cannot be primary as it comes to our worship of Christ. Mm-hmm. It has not become primary in our access to Christ. It's Christ's work that is primary, and that's what we're going about to get into. This idea of justification is one of identity. It's in a, a discussion of identity because ethnocentrism um, is, a, is a statement that says my identity is my culture. Mm-hmm. But in Christ, we see, and through justification, we see that no, Christ is our identity. Mm-hmm. And so we have to understand how do we weigh culture in terms of who we are, especially as believers. Is culture bad? No. Culture actually can glorify Christ in so far as it does point to Christ. Mm-hmm. Anytime culture tries to 
usurp that that place elevate us elevate ourselves whether it's through a desire to belong or whether right. it's a desire to control, control right power and slave and, and and not just the history of chattel slavery in america literally in our current t- context you can enslave someone by tripping them up mm-hmm. on demanding mm-hmm. that they adhere to your cultural norms mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all of that is ethnocentrism mm-hmm. that places identity and culture rather than identity in Christ. Preach it. I love it when you get going. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so I'm going to move on to the last verses in this passage. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So in this paragraph we see the word justification used three times in verse Mm -hmm. 16 and then another time in verse 17 which clues us in that this is an important word for us to learn right paul unpacks this doctrine of justification by faith here in this paragraph which is essential to the epistle but is also essential to the gospel and it's why you had such a heavy homework week this week (laughs) for those of you who followed all the way through to the end god bless you and he did bless you because it was good stuff but it was a lot i realized that it was a heavy week but we cannot skimp on this truth and i love this quote by martin luther this is the truth of the gospel this is what he's saying about justification this is the Yeah, this is the truth of the gospel. It is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine, wherein the knowledge of all godliness consisteth. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well, teach it unto others, and beat it into their heads continually. And Luther would know, considering (laughs) where he is and what role he played in church history and reforming this. So you're welcome. We're beating it into your heads. Beating it Unashamedly. So, what is the doctrine of justification? Mm. Justification is a legal term borrowed from the law courts. It's the opposite of condemnation. So, if to condemn someone is to declare them guilty and worthy of the consequences imposed, then to justify is to declare someone not guilty or innocent. Um, And so J.I. Packer kind of summarizes what Paul means about justification in this way. To justify in the Bible means to declare of a man on trial that he is not liable to any penalty, but is entitled to all the privileges due to those who've kept the law. Justifying is the act of a judge pronouncing the opposite sentence to condemnation, that of acquittal and legal immunity. Or, as Keller says, we are not acceptable to God because we actually become righteous. We become actually righteous because we're acceptable to God. Yeah, yeah. When I think of justification, I think of um, what does how, what does one need to do to be right? Mm-hmm. And in terms of the Christian faith, what does one need to do or how is one right before that? Yeah. Um, and so the predicament yeah. is that God is righteous. Right. I am not. So then how do I become right? Joy? Right. So instead of harmony with God, there's friction. Mm-hmm. So how can a sinful person be made right with God? Yeah. 
well, you know, the, the Jews were thinking that this is mm-hmm. all external. Right. I have to keep all these laws. Right. They believed in Jesus. Mm-hmm. But they also thought that justification came from working really hard to keep the law of God and of Moses. So those are the Judaizers, the right. specific group of Jewish people mm-hmm. who held to Jesus being mm-hmm. who he was, right. dying on the cross, but needs to be coupled with these external mm-hmm. law-keeping practices. Yep. Yep. And circumcision being the main one. Yeah. And then, of course, the dietary laws that came with it. Right. And then the moral law, the Ten Commandments. Right. So You've right. got the moral law of the Ten Commandments, and then on top of that, the ceremonial laws. Right. Which is all external. Right. Um, so this is what we call works righteousness. Mm-hmm. So anytime you hear us talk about works of the law, works righteousness, that's what we're talking about, or self-righteousness. And it is the key to every other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world is about an external rules to follow, um, things to do. And it's popular, because it's flattering. Yeah. It's that whole bootstrap mentality. Yeah. Like if yeah. I if I do the work, I earn the grade. And I can feel good about myself. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a delusion. Mm-hmm. It's a lie. Because yes. none of us can keep the law fully. Yeah. None of us ever have. We might have um, we may be able to keep some of the laws outwardly, but Jesus Christ is the only person who ever kept the law fully, inwardly and outwardly. So, um, in contrast to justification by works, what we just talked about, did you have anything else to say? No, no, go ahead. I'm going to add it in. Okay. Is justification by faith. And this Mm -hmm. is what Paul is arguing here. Mm -hmm. Um, Jesus' life was perfect obedience. When he died, he died for our disobedience, since the penalty for disobedience to the law was death. Right. So, justification by faith is acknowledging that I am a sinner to my core and have failed at every attempt to save myself. Um, and I am in need of a savior and I put my whole trust and confidence in Jesus as such. So um, justification by works is says I am right by what I do. Mm-hmm. Justica- justification by faith says I am right because of what he did. Oh, I like that. He being Christ mm-hmm. again. And just to bring this back to the ethnocentrism point, this is why it was so easy for Peter to slip back in yep. to that way of behaving because ethnocentrism offers an identity. I am hmm. right by who I, what I do. He was trying to trade that for who he was. He's trying to trade his justification um, as as to, as a statement of, of who he was. When it's really Christ who did the work to make hmm. him right, not what he did that made hmm. him right. Um, so it's, it can be tricky. It, it's, it's a it's a fine line even sometimes really identify are you trying to be are you trying to be uh-huh. right or are you simply being yep because Christ is right and it sometimes looks the same on the outside mm. which is where it gets real slippery Good point joy yes <laughs> so Paul argues this point to the Galatians in three different ways first we see general. Um, We know that a man is not justified by works, but by faith. So he's already established his authority as an apostle, and now he is using all of that authority to lean into this truth, this statement. Um, And it's plural as if saying, Peter, you and I both know this truth. We know that a man is not justified by works, but by faith. And then the second way he argues it is very personal. Their certainty about the gospel is more than intellectual. It's experiential and personal. 
He's saying, we know it, and we've put it to the test. We've lived this. And then finally, he, um, he argues it as universal, that both the intellectual principle and the personal experience are backed by Scripture, where he quotes Psalm 143.2, by works of the law shall no one be justified. It's the same for all flesh, mankind without exception. The way of salvation is the same. No one can be justified by the law, but all must be justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Um, so in these final verses, Paul argues that before he came to faith, he was trying to save himself by keeping the law and not really living for God. He was living for Paul. Um, he was obeying to get a reward, not, but not out of a love or an overflow for God himself. So now that he's justified by faith, his new motive for obedience is way more powerful. He simply wants to live for the one who loved me and gave himself for me. And then he unpacks this more fully in chapter 5. So when we get to chapter 5, we'll look more at what it looks like to live this out. Um, but then we see in verse 20, it points us back to verse 14. This is what it looks like to live our life in line with the truth of the gospel that he says in verse 14. I am a new creation. My old life and sin has been crucified with Christ. And now I have his life as my life. His past is my past. I can now live free from condemnation as if I've already died and been judged and accepted. I am, and this part is so hard for me, and it always chokes me up to say it out loud. And I am as loved by God as if I were Christ himself. When I see myself as wholly loved by God and holy in Christ, then I have the power and courage to repent of sin I can easily repent of sin when I know that my justification has already been granted. Right. I can turn away from fear and I obey out of great joy for the one who accomplished this work on my behalf. Obedience is a joy. Right. right. I have Christ's li- I have Christ's life and so now I get to live mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as Christ would live. Yeah. Our justification is given to us. Mm-hmm. Something that Christ did, and we receive it by faith. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing we do Mm-mm. to achieve it. There's nothing we do to substantiate it. Mm-mm. It's it's an identity bestowed upon us. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, I like how you yeah. use that word identity, and that connects back to the ethnocentrism yeah. we were yeah. talking about before. So finally, his final point is that you cannot combine works and grace. If your justification is by works of the law in any way, then it is as if Christ's death was utterly meaningless. Mm -hmm. When we realize how utterly powerless we are to save ourselves and justify ourselves before God, then Christ's sacrifice on our behalf becomes everything to us. To someone who believes that to the core, it's not only their standing before God which is changed, but their whole life is changed. They begin to live it in line with the truth of the gospel. Christ's death was not just an event in history. It's an event that we share in, that uh, we are united to by faith. As 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, In Christ, the old things pass away, and all things are becoming new. Just like Paul ends this chapter when he says, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Mm-hmm. Our obedience from a justified position is not uh, to try and gain standing. It is a way to demonstrate gratitude mm-hmm. for love. Mm-hmm. It's an, like you said earlier, it's out of an overflow of love for God because of his gift to us. Mm-hmm. My obedience sin is not legalism. My obedience is not restricting. My obedience is out of the overflow of receiving love from a God who decided to make me right Mm. in standing before him. Mm. He didn't look at me and said, you have to get yourself together, Mm -hmm. make yourself right. He made me right, and all I can do is to say thank you. Mm. My life of obedience is just a big thank you. Mm. Yeah, and so now our identity is fully found in Christ. In Christ. So what does that then do to my ethnic heritage? What mm-hmm. does that do to my cultural heritage? What does that do to ethno supremacy? Yeah. Ethnic supremacy. What is that when rightly ordered, it it puts culture subservient mm-hmm. to that identity in Christ. I can be very much grateful that God made me a black woman mm-hmm. without having that also a gift um, be primary in in what it means to be a Christian. Like I did not, I'm not a Christian because I'm black. I am a Christian who also happens to be black. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got to order our identities right. You've got to kind of make maybe concentric circles. Mm-hmm. And in the middle, it has to be that which is, eternal and, and, and universal for everyone. Mm-hmm. And that's identity in Christ because joy, you sit across from me as a white American woman, but yet mm-hmm. we have the same identity. How mm-hmm. do we have the same identity and look completely different, have two different, completely different backgrounds and two different skin tones, two different cultural heritages. Mm-hmm. How do we have a unity and identity in that? It's because of our just of our identity as being justified by Christ first. Alone. Alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This has been fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's really good to consider, look back what the early church went through because mm-hmm. what did they get? And we know what they got. The, the answer to this question I'm about to pose is right here in the lesson, y'all. What did Paul and Peter understand mm-hmm. as essential to understanding the gospel Yep. that prevented them from functionally having two different churches. Yeah, right splitting in this straight down the middle. I mean, this could have, this could have changed the course of church history forever. Both in, you know, Paul's willingness to confront the truth of the gospel here, mm. but also in Peter's ability to receive the mm. correction. It's good with That's humility good. and grace. I mean, th- there's so much there. There's you know? so much, and. Because our because our primary identity is now shared, mm-hmm. you and I, mm-hmm. our identity is in Christ. Mm-hmm. We can now use our unique cultures, ethnicities, yeah. 
to point others towards the gospel right. and to truth. Right. They don't get washed out. Nope. It's getting amplified because it's like, look what Christ does across yeah. a broad spectrum of people. Right. In locations. Mm-hmm. In tongues. Mm-hmm. Revelation 7, 9, y'all. Yep. Mm-hmm. Beat it into our heads, like we've just Beat said. Beat it. <laughs> Every week. Yes. It never gets old. Oh, I'm so grateful that you took the time to do this with me today. Thanks for asking me, Joy. Mm. I knew it was going to be good, <laughs> but it's, it is so good. So good. Um, well, I'm going to – will you pray for us? Sure will. As we close out. Thank sure you. will. Gracious Father, we thank <clears throat> you for looking upon us. And bestowing upon us such gracious and such good gifts um, for seeing your creation as worthy simply because you are worthy and that you have given us a way to fellowship with you. You've given us a way to fellowship with each other. You've given us a way in which we can live um, in a way that glorifies you. And that is through the work and the person of Jesus Christ, who came and who died, who rose again. And because of his righteous life, when we accept that, Lord, we thank you that you have allowed us to become sons and daughters who are justified completely and fully and always before you. Mm. Um, We thank you for the love that you have bestowed upon us in doing this for us. We thank you for this gift. Help us, Lord, to make sure that we press into that, that we understand what it means to um, be righteous simply because of what you did. Help us to repent and run from that which seeks a righteousness apart from you and based on our own works. Help us to turn from that which would ultimately divide and harm those around us. Mm. Help us to embrace that you do know the best way to live in community and that through the person and work of Jesus Christ, we have that, that gift of justification, um, that gift of faith, um, and the ability to love you and to love others well. Hmm. Help us to, uh, to live that for your glory and for a watching world that so desperately needs hmm. to see your glory. These things ask in your name. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen.